Well, good morning, sisters and brothers. Uh, lovely to see you here, and uh, good morning to those uh, who are at home as well. Uh, we continue our series on Galatians. We're in Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. Uh, the, the, the verses will come up here on the screen, but it's probably more helpful if you have the passage in front of you so you can see it uh, in, in, in its context. So uh, 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 if you want to get that up on your device, uh, that'll be great as well. Let me lead us in prayer uh, as we begin. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you speak to us by your Spirit through your Word. We thank you that you've been speaking to us as your Word was read. Uh, and we ask that your spirit would work in our hearts now, uh, that you would speak your word to us and help us to, um, to understand and appreciate uh, and to uh, know and love and obey Jesus better. Uh, as we commit this time to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to imagine that you're a doctor, uh, and your patient has a condition that is perfectly obvious to you, and you're sure that you've got the right diagnosis and treatment plan. You are well qualified, you have all the knowledge, you have all the training, you know what you're talking about. But while the patient started taking your treatment, now he's not so sure. Uh, one of his uncles came and said, no, 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 it's not that, uh, I, I know because I, had, I know someone who had similar symptoms and they took this and this and this and, and they got better. And, and, but this is serious. You, you know what's really wrong, you know the solution. And you know, they, if they don't take that, they could die. So what do you do to convince them? On the one hand, you might say, look, I'm a doctor. I'm qualified. I've studied this. I know what I'm talking about. Or the other option is you could, you, you could arrange for them to have a second opinion uh, from another doctor who is equally qualified. Maybe even someone the uncle respects. Because you hope that since the other doctor has the same knowledge and training as you, they will say the same thing. You're not doing it because you're not a proper doctor, or because they're a better doctor with higher qualifications, or because you're not sure of your diagnosis or how to manage this condition. You're doing it for the sake of your patient, who needs a second, independent, expert opinion, so that he gets the proper treatment, instead of listening to the uncle who talks a lot without really knowing what he's talking about. And you really hope that the other doctor will do the right thing and back you up, even though they know the uncle. That is a little bit like the situation that the Apostle Paul is in, uh, in our passage today. The first century Galatian church had false teachers that were leading people astray like that uncle. And Paul was a little bit like the doctor who, who knew what she was doing, but was finding it hard to convince them. He was already told him his qualifications. He's an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has no doubts that his gospel is the right one. He got it from Jesus himself. But in our passage today, he's going to get a second opinion, which I think is actually quite a humble thing to do because he doesn't need it. But he does it for the sake of those whom he seeks to serve. Before we look at the passage, though, let's refresh our memories of what we've seen in Galatians so far. We saw back in chapter 1 a summary of the gospel, the message about Jesus Christ. Jesus is Lord. He's the, he's the rightful ruler of all. He's the one whom God the Father raised from the dead. And this Lord Jesus Christ gave himself for us by dying on the cross for our sins in our place. He did so to rescue us from the present evil age, this, this world of sin with all the terrible things that follow from sin. And to bring us to a new creation where there will be a perfect relationship with God and each other forever. He did it according to the will of the Father, 
for the glory of the Father. And so the gospel is all about what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. It's not about what we can do for ourselves. And so the right response to the gospel is faith, to trust the promises of God that are declared to us in the gospel. But God is the one who achieves everything, which is why God is the one who is glorified in the end. But we also saw that there are people who had come to, to Galatia with a different gospel, a false one. And people had started to turn away from the true gospel. And by doing so, they were actually turning away from God himself. Paul was adamant that anyone preaching a false gospel should be eternally condemned because a false gospel cannot save. And those who take people from the true gospel to the false one are taking them from salvation to condemnation. But that seemed to be what's happening in the Galatian churches. And so like the doctor who pleads that she really does know what she's talking about, Paul went to great pains last week to show that his gospel came directly from Jesus, not from anyone else. The risen Jesus appeared to him, commissioned him to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And for a number of years, he preached this gospel entrusted by Jesus in a way that was independent from the apostles in Jerusalem. Paul's gospel was no second-hand gospel. He knows it is right because he got it directly from Jesus himself. But in today's passage, as I said, Paul gets a second opinion from equally qualified experts whom the false teachers cannot deny, the apostles in Jerusalem. He starts with verse 1 of chapter 2 by speaking about his most recent trip to Jerusalem, 14 years after the previous one. He went there with Barnabas, his mission partner, who, if, if our dating is correct, uh, brought the gospel to the Galatians and planted their churches together with Paul. He also went with Titus, one of his protégés, who was a Christian but not a Jew. And Paul says in verse 2 that he went there because of a revelation. Again, if the way they were correlating Acts and Galatians is correct, this is Acts 11, 28-30. Our prophecy was made in the Antioch church, as a Gentile church up north where Paul was based, uh, and, and, the, and the prophecy was about a coming famine. And so the church at Antioch decided to send relief to the church in Jerusalem, uh, the poorer church, uh, with Paul and Barnabas. Paul doesn't give all the details of this here, he just says it was by way of divine revelation. The point really is that he wasn't summoned to Jerusalem to explain himself as if he was under the apostles there. He went uh, because of revelation. And he went there in verse 2. When he went there, he set before them the gospel that he proclaimed among the Gentiles. And it says he did this privately, verse 2, before those who seemed influential. Uh, and this would have included uh, James and Cephas or Peter and John who are named down in verse 9. He does it privately in case they say, uh, no, you got your gospel wrong. Because what would have happened if word got out that the apostles in Jerusalem didn't agree with Paul? Uh, Paul knew his gospel was from Jesus, all, but, but all the churches would have doubted it, wouldn't they? Paul, if Paul is saying one thing, and then the apostles in Jerusalem, that everyone agreed has been appointed by Jesus himself, whom he has promised the Holy Spirit would lead into all the truth, if these guys are saying something else, who do you believe? Paul would have been discredited. The churches he had planted would have turned away from his teaching. And all the work he had done in preaching the gospel to them would have been wasted. He would have been running his race in vain. So he goes privately to the key people to compare gospels first 
so to speak. And what happens? Well, in verse 3 he says, But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Now, up to this point, we haven't been told what the false teachers were saying. But this verse helps us to see, ah, this is part of the circumcision controversy, which would come to a head a year or two later in Acts 15. And there we find out that the false teachers were saying this, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. That's in verse 1 of Acts 15. In verse 5 of Acts 15, they say again, speaking about the Gentiles, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. But Paul says in verse 3 that Titus was not forced to be circumcised. The influential apostles didn't insist on it. Which meant they knew that Paul's gospel preaching was, was complete. You do not need to be circumcised according to the custom of Moses in order to be saved. But the group which we now know as the Judaizers, they were really pushing the circumcision line. Uh, Paul calls them false brothers in verse 4 because they appear to be believers, but they are not because they, they believe a different gospel. They're, they're, they're in the church, they're part of, they, they look like they're believers, but actually they are false brothers, not true ones. Friends, false brothers are not easy to spot. Uh, no one wears a t-shirt saying false brother. All right? uh, no one goes to a Zoom meeting and puts their name, you know, false brother so and so. Uh, and no one starts a group called FFB, right? Fellowship of False Brothers. Uh, they don't. Uh, but within the Galatian church there, and the Jerusalem church, there were people who, who looked like brothers but actually were proclaiming a different gospel. That could happen in Malaysian churches too, couldn't it? These false brothers came in, in verse 4, to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so they might bring us into slavery. Right? Maybe they joined a, a Gentile church, maybe they were Jews, they joined a Gentile church or a mixed church to, to see what's happening there so they can then go back and complain to the church in Jerusalem that the Gentiles are not following the law. Because they wanted the Gentiles to come under the Jewish law, right? what the Paul calls slavery. In the first century, there were people who went to church to spy on what they were doing so they could complain about them. That could happen in the 21st century as well, couldn't it? Though they wouldn't need to slip in and spy on our church because our service is live stream. They could just do it from home. But Paul and his party would not compromise. To them, verse 5, we did not yield in submission, even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. But it wasn't easy. These false brothers who had spied on Paul's churches probably had been lobbying and pressuring those who seemed influential to say that Paul's gospel was, was distorted or defective. I, 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 but now Paul himself is actually not faced by these influential ones, right? because he knows the gospel came from God. That's why he says, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality in verse 6. But they were important to the rest of the church. Right? As we've already seen, if they were swayed by the false brothers, there would have been a big problem. But thank God they weren't. Verse 6 continues. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. Added nothing to me. They didn't contradict Paul. They didn't add to his gospel. They didn't say, no, yeah, yeah, Paul, but you also need to be saved. No, no, no. 
Instead, they recognized the ministry that God had given him. Verses 7 to 9. On the contrary, when they saw I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised. For he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry, the circumcised worked through me for mine through the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Now, just on a side note, do you notice how Paul describes his ministry in verse 9 as the grace given to me? Right? Whatever ministry we're in, that's, that's the right way to think about ministry, isn't it? Right? Paul knew he didn't deserve the ministry that he'd been given, and actually none of us do. We are sinners, saved by God's grace, put to work in God's field. God was the one who worked through or in Peter in verse 8. He worked through or in Paul. And even though it's in different ministries, he works through us, unworthy as we are. That's something to be grateful for. We must never think of ministry as my right. It is a grace given to us. Uh, you know, as I think about the leaders I work with at St. Mary's, I'm actually, I think they actually recognize that. I'm encouraged by their attitude. Uh, but the world around us is, is so different. And unless we, we keep getting reminded, we can easily forget and be swept up by it. So, so let me gently remind us. Let us never become entitled. Let us never become demanding. Let us never become proud. Like Paul, our ministry is by grace. But coming back to the main point. The apostles in Jerusalem not only confirmed Paul's gospel, but they, but they recognized Paul's apostleship. And he recognized Peter's as well. Right? They didn't make him an apostle. Jesus did. But they recognized that he was because they saw in verse 7 that he'd been entrusted with the gospel so that he could take it to the Gentiles just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to take it to the Jews. Right? They could tell that Paul's gospel and Peter's gospel were the same gospel entrusted by the same Lord Jesus just with a, a different primary audience in mind. And so they gave him and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. We are with you. We are united in Christ. We are one which in turn would have given the Galatians added confidence in Paul's message and more reason to reject the false teachers, despite an incident involving Peter, which we will find out about next week. The one request from the pillars, though, is in verse 10. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Right? We've seen from Acts that, that Paul's trip to Jerusalem was primarily to deliver aid for the Jewish Christians. And they all agreed he should keep doing that. And Paul kept his word. Throughout his ministry, he collected money from Gentile churches to help the poor Christians in Jerusalem, thus giving a very practical expression to the unity they had in the one true gospel. Well, that was the passage. As we look back on the passage today, I think the main point is very clear, isn't it? Paul's gospel was confirmed by the apostles in Jerusalem. Now, it's an important main point. It was important for the Galatians because people were being lured away to the false gospel. And one of the things that the false teachers were trying to do was discredit his gospel by trying to drive a wedge between him and the other apostles in Jerusalem. But there is no wedge. Paul's gospel was confirmed by the apostles in Jerusalem. And so these false teachers had no leg to stand on. Now, I don't see many people in Malaysia today 
telling Christians that they have to be circumcised and obey the law of Moses in order to be saved. So this main point is not very relevant, is it? Wrong! You see, today we still see people trying to drive a wedge between Paul on the one hand and Jesus and the other apostles on the other. Do you, do you see that? Right, if, if you don't, you should get out more. Right? Or, or talk to non-Christians more about your faith. Because you go out there and you randomly ask people what they think about Christianity, and a good number of them will say, well, Jesus taught one thing and then Paul came and messed it up. Uh, so that Christianity today, as we know it today, was started by Paul as a perversion of the, of the real teachings of Jesus, which are, uh, uh, that's, 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 you fill in the blank with whatever religion or philosophy you want to promote, and you want to put Jesus' name to the bottom of it. But friends, there is no wedge between Paul and Jesus. Not only was Paul sent by Jesus, but his gospel was affirmed by the other apostles that Jesus appointed. The people who walked and talked and ate and drank with Jesus. This is very important, actually, in apologetics. And we see that very clearly in our passage today. Now, of course, those who don't believe the Bible is the Word of God won't automatically trust what it says like we do. They might claim, they might say, well, this is just Paul's claim. How do we know it's true? But even they must acknowledge that this is a public letter to be read in churches in front of at least a partially hostile audience. If Paul was bluffing, all it would take would be a fact check with Jerusalem. And for Peter or James or John to say, well, that's not actually what happened. And that would be it for Paul and his gospel. But of course, that's not what happens. They come together at the Council of Jerusalem. And the early church is united in the gospel. Those who try to drive a wedge have no leg to stand on. And friends, that should commend the gospel to everyone. People can have extra confidence about what the gospel is. Because we, now we know we've got two independent uh, sources of the gospel. Independent from each other, that is, but both coming from Jesus. The Apostle Paul on the one hand, and the Apostles in Jerusalem on the other. And then they both agree on the gospel. Because actually they both got it from the risen Jesus. Now the fact that Paul's gospel was confirmed by the Apostles in Jerusalem actually doesn't surprise us in the slightest if we've read the rest of the New Testament, isn't it? Now, for example, we preached through 1 Peter last year. Did we find a different gospel there? Of course not. Peter wrote about the same Christ who bore our sins in his body on the tree, who ransomed us by his blood, who was raised from the dead, and the same Lord Jesus through whose resurrection we were born again to a living hope. We find the same gospel there, the same gospel in all the other apostolic writings as well. The book of Acts tells us that not long after this, the apostles and elders got together and they firmly agreed that whether we are Jews or Gentiles, we are saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus, not by the law. There is no wedge. The false brothers tried to make a wedge, but they did not succeed. They did not succeed then, and they cannot succeed now. Paul received his gospel directly from Jesus by revelation. The others other apostles received it from him in his early ministry and his post-resurrection explanation. But they are united in the one true gospel. And friends, we too must be united in that one true gospel. We might have our differences. We're not the kind of church that insists that everyone must agree with everyone else on every point. But we are and must continue to be 
united in the gospel. The Jerusalem church and the Antioch church where Paul was based were very different culturally. And so I'm sure they'd be very different in style as well. But they were united in the gospel. And they would not let that unity be undermined by false brothers who preached a false gospel. Let us guard the unity that we have in the gospel, but let us never compromise on the gospel itself. For false brothers and false teachers have always been in the church. They were there in the early church, and they're around today. But you can work out who they are when you compare their gospel with the gospel that Paul preached and the gospel preached by the other apostles. Stick with the gospel entrusted by Jesus to Paul and to the other apostles. The gospel preserved for us in the pages of the New Testament. Back in Paul's day, the leaders of the church were under tremendous pressure to compromise the gospel. But we are thankful for Paul and for the leaders in Jerusalem who stood firm despite the pressure from the false brothers. And friends, we need to pray for the leaders of God's church in Malaysia today. And we also need to pray for the Bible-believing leaders in the Anglican Communion. That they will not only continue to be faithful to Christ and his gospel, but that they would not compromise and give way to the pressure of those who are not. Sometimes the pressure will be great, but pray that they will not give way, even for a moment, that the truth of the gospel may be preserved for God's people. Finally, let us also remember the poor. Collecting money to help poor believers has a long precedence. In light of the coming famine, the church in Antioch collected money to help the poor church in Jerusalem. That was an important thing to do. During the pandemic, our church collected money to help a poor refugee church in Tamandesa, uh, thanks to the work of Marianne and Daniel. That was the right thing to do. We continue to support the Agape Refugee School, and through that school we seek to help the refugee community in other ways. That is the right thing to do. When we see our brothers and sisters in need, we should, we should try and help. And that is not meant to be a distraction from the gospel or an alternative to gospel proclamation. Paul doesn't stop preaching the gospel and become a social worker just because he's remembering the poor. But even as he fulfilled his ministry of preaching the gospel, he collected money from the churches he planted for the poor believers in Jerusalem. We have been entrusted with the gospel to bring salvation to others. That is our mission. But helping the poor is part of living out the implications of the gospel. And that's just something that saved people do. Elsewhere we read that the Gentiles' church shared the spiritual blessings from the Jewish Christians, so it's only right for them to share their material blessings with them. That's right. But that's not the only reason to remember the poor. It's part of discipleship. Learning to obey what Jesus has commanded, especially his command to love. As we experience God's love for us in the gospel, we are to love others as well. As Paul will say later in Galatians, as we have opportunity let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So remembering the poor, especially our brothers and sisters in need, that is, that is something we must continue to do. Not instead of the gospel, but because of it. So sisters and brothers, 
the Lord Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age. And he was raised from death by the Father. Our salvation is therefore by faith in him alone. Let us hold fast to the gospel of Christ. Extend fellowship to others who proclaim it. Be on guard against those who would distort it. And seek to live out its implications in our lives. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, did indeed give himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age. We thank you that you have raised him from the dead and that he is our King and our Lord. Thank you for the salvation that we have in him that you have accomplished by your grace. And glory to you alone for that. Uh, please help us as your people together to hold fast to the true gospel, to extend fellowship to those who proclaim it, to be on guard against those who would distort it, and to live out its implications in our lives, including that of remembering the poor. Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.